0: free drop here no doubt yeah free drop
1: whoa that thing came out sideways
0: drove it into the penalty area
1: whoa yeah oh, that was a shank it's hard to believe watching this it made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone
0: hello folks this is sean zock this is the drop zone he is dylan to chair and it's memorial day dylan happy memorial day to you happy memorial day to our man john sodaro our favorite podcast editor uh, and yes, it's a holiday, but we are back podcasting. So you know, the Drop Zone fans don't miss out for a week because there's lots of golf action this weekend as much as you could probably have, right? Did you fill up your cup on the golf?
1: I would like to shy away from any sort of stolen valor situation there, Sean. So I'll defer any happy Memorial Day to uh, to John Sidaro. But I will say on this podcast, I am, Sean, the eldest boy. <laughs>
0: uh, out of the two of us, you certainly are, but not in your own family. You are not. By six so, months.
1: I am you know, as much as Kendall is, up. I guess. Um, if anyone didn't watch Succession last night, go do that, and uh, sorry.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, we might, we might have a spoiler or two in here. Um, but, Dylan, you, I imagine you watched some golf this weekend. I watched some golf on mostly on Sunday. We had the Charles Schwab Challenge down in Fort Worth, Texas. We had uh, the LPGA match play action. And we also had Live Golf in the district. Um, Well, Emiliano Grillo, can we set the stage for everybody on that? Like, are we we accurate when we say his name is Emiliano Grillo?
1: Yeah, I think that that...
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, why are we... Why are we the ones who have that right and no one else does? I don't know,
1: because we're pals with, with Tomás Saravia, who is from uh, just outside of Buenos Aires. And we are, I guess, one of the world's foremost Argentine golf
0: podcasts. Yeah, well, why, why isn't Jim Nance pal up with Tomás? Because I, just, I feel a little odd that we know the proper pronunciation and no one else really sticks to it.
1: I feel relieved for Emiliano. Emmy, as I think uh, people call him, because, Sean, well, if you watch the tournament, you probably got a sense of this, but imagine you're, you're Grigio, and you win your first ever start as a PGA Tour member. This was back in 2015, the Fries.com Open, uh, artist formerly known as the... Rookie year. You know, Fries.com Open was then the Safeway. What is it now? The, the Fortinet. The Fortinet,
0: Fortinet don't call me Fortnite championship.
1: championship. He wins this in 2015. He waits eight years to win again. And then, Sean, not only does he wait eight years, he takes a two-shot lead to the final tee this weekend at the Charles Schwab Challenge. And then he waits eight minutes because he blows his tee shot right into a little storm drain ditch. I don't know exactly how to describe it. A little cement canal.
0: It's an aqueduct, viaduct thing. That's what they were calling it on the broadcast, a viaduct. I I don't know if there's a difference between an aqueduct and a viaduct, um, but both words were used on the broadcast. I think it took longer than eight minutes. I think it was more like 10. Jeez,
1: well, regardless, I don't know. I mean, I would have thought based on just how long the ball was trickling down this drain, down this duct, that it would have made it like a half mile. I mean, <laughs> I was surprised it only made it whatever 150 yards or something because it was just trucking. It was like floating downstream for a while and uh, eventually I guess they said, "Hey, you got to just go play your other ball. You've you've waited too long to decide about this moving one. You got to go drop it on the cement and then he, you know, he has to go and wait some more after he makes double bogey to see if Adam Shank is gonna make Birdie on him. And um anyway, it was a long time coming, this second win. He seemed really excited about it. Uh it was well earned. It very easily could have been a very different story if Shank had hit his birdie putt, you know, two rotations more on the eighteenth green, or and maybe a half ball to the left. But that's not what happened. And uh Emmy got a nice kick on the second playoff hole and ended up with a short putt for birdie that he drained. Congratulations to him.
0: Yeah, this one is for the deep, uh, the deep cut guys. This is for the golf nerds. This is for, you know, the hangover of a major championship that doesn't have the biggest names but has some big names, and has guys like like Emmy right battling against guys like Harry Hall and Adam Shank. And uh, just a cut below the cream of the crop. Um, Guys that all have weaknesses. Like Grigio is not a good putter. I was really worried about him standing over that four-footer for the win because he is a fantastic ball striker, but putting is not his forte. Um, He buried it. And, you know, I guess it's – you almost want guys like him to win tournaments like that because they – that's going to be the best tournament he plays this year. Like that's just kind of what the numbers say. He's going to have one tournament or two tournaments like that this year where he peaks, his game absolutely peaks. You got to grab a victory. Then you got to grab all your points. Then Harry Hall, no different. Like Harry Hall, they said on the broadcast, he wants to be on the European Ryder cup team. Okay, dog, uh, that's swinging for the fences. You're not ready for that, but maybe you are go out and prove it and actually win this golf tournament. Sometimes it's better when those guys win these non-elevated events rather than, say, Scotty Scheffler because the win will mean a lot more to those guys than it will to Scotty. Is that fair? Very
1: fair. And it was a a really fascinating tournament just because it was so hard. The greens got really crispy. I mean, the fact that 8-under won this thing. At one point, I think there were two guys at 9-under, one guy at 8-under. Scheffler was posting 7-under. And uh, it was like dude, wait a minute, like, Scotty might not be out of this thing. And, I mean, at one point, Harry Hall was 12 under. um, And then he just made five bogeys, you know, bit by bit coming home. Um, But really, really hard week. A bunch of guys that shot over par. At one point, it looked like it was going to be a showdown between, this was fun for the wordplay people, um, and English Harry would be Harry Hall. And a Harris English, uh, who would be Harris English, but didn't happen that way. Those five bogeys, including a ball in the water on 18, doomed Harry Hall to a T3 finish. And uh, Harris English shot six over par on Sunday uh, after birdieing the first. So he finished T12. So the, the Harry Harris thing was not to be
0: to keep on this tournament before should we stay with this tournament to talk about michael block or should we move to the rest of the victories and the winners and losers for sunday let's buzz actually. around
1: some some winners because i think this was an interesting week To uh, there were just a few interesting tournaments happening this week and i've got a couple that well i'll let you start and then i'll, I'll add a couple more random ones
0: well live golf right we had live golf in the district in washington dc where was live golf playing its tournament it was playing it at trump national um that shouldn't surprise you if you've been following and you know it doesn't mean anything until it means everything i would say harold varner wins by a stroke over brandon grace by two strokes over Mito Pereira. ya boy um Andy Ogletree finished sixth. And I think notably, if you look down this leaderboard, um, there's Phil Mickelson in second to last place of the players who played all three rounds, all 54 holes. And that's interesting. Um, Patrick Reed did not crack the top 35. Like I think that um, when you try to talk about live golf, When you shrink the field size, finishing close to last gets uh, worse, I think. (laughs) You know, like there is no cut, and so you have to play all 54 holes, and it just kind of gets a little bit uglier and uglier each day. Um, I don't really know what to say about Liv other than Harold was kind of the first Liv golfer to really – I think really speak his mind, and I'm talking about last year when he joined, and uh, even this year when he told, I believe it was the, I believe it was the Washington Post. He basically said, "No, this is this is all about the money," uh, for me. I think that was the feature that they ran during Masters Week, and shortly after his win on Sunday, he kind of doubles down and is just like, you know, yeah, like this is. Winning a check like this, the $4 million check that you get for taking first place, like that's going straight to my foundation. That's what this money play is all about. And um, I think he's just kind of the first live guy to feel like he's really redirecting the insane funds towards something definitively positive. Um, I'm sure that the other players are doing the same. So when Brooks Kepka wins in Orlando, he's just like, yep, great reps, really happy about all this, excited to be going to the Masters. Um, but for Harold, it, it just feels like the connective tissue is a bit stronger. Um, am, I, am I going a little too far on this? No, I
1: think that he was pretty intent on uh, making that the focus of his, his post-round press conference. I think he... Harold has always been keenly aware of of what people think of him and what people think of this decision, and I think he wanted to go out of his way to sort of make sure that he communicated what was behind his decision, and uh, it's all about the Benjamins and what he's going to do with those. So yeah, I mean, he's been playing some pretty solid golf now. This was certainly the the cherry on top there. Um, Yeah, interesting week. Interesting week with those guys. Mito's been playing quite well. He's actually showing himself to be one of the better players on the circuit there. Andy Ogletree yes. is playing. Data some great golf, golf ranks
0: him. Data Golf ranks Mito Pereira as the third best player currently on the live. Wow, grouping. that's interesting. Uh, of all the live guys, Mito ranked third on Data Golf. I believe they have him ranked 25th in the world. Um, Third behind only Brooks in Cameron Smith. Yeah, I mean, Phil's position there. Fantastic for you.
1: What Phil did at Augusta, finishing second there, means that he can talk almost an endless amount of shit now without really having to back it up on the course. I mean, it was impressive that he made the cut at the PGA, for sure. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that T2 at Augusta, he can get quite a bit of run out of that.
0: Do you 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 believe that wholeheartedly
1: yeah i do i mean
0: okay i think that's fine i just want to try and elevate a couple questions because um i gotta i gotta kind of put the building blocks together on this as maybe are we going in on are we are we talking about phil now
1: are we continuing our trek around the world
0: no we're 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 talking we're talking about phil um but I'll try to make it brief. Basically, I just think we have entered the scoreboard era of the debates. We are getting more and more uh, results in the sample sizes of um, cross-pollination, if you will, between tours, uh, inclusive of players that won't play on certain tours. And um, like you said, Phil has, has been given this opportunity. He gave it to himself. He finished T2 at the Masters. He now has the chance to talk that and he has made it clear that he intends to occasionally mostly on twitter talk that and it all just sounds so much like high school basketball when one side is chanting scoreboard to the opposing student section and it's like we did this we are finishing high in the majors scoreboard scoreboard and that's just kind of what i feel is starting to define some of the statements you know um, Claude Harmon is a very very good example of of that scoreboard type of thoughts and um, maybe we'll round up the rest of the the golf world from um, Sunday winners and losers before we get into Claude but I just I what I want to say is that it is it feels like it's a scoreboard thing you doubted us don't you doubt our team we're not underdogs like you say we are scoreboard scoreboard we're backing it up and I just wonder how does that equate with Phil finishing second to last only to Siwon Kim, a player who d- doesn't deserve to play on any tours uh, in in the at the elite level? Um, how does that equate? Will Phil continue to say scoreboard, scoreboard if he doesn't play well anywhere the rest of the year? Because if you recall, he did not play well anywhere last year. Like nowhere did he play well last year. So we're talking about like one or two solid results does that allow you to yell scoreboard? It's a
1: little bit of a convenient thing, I guess, when you can you can just pick from this pool of guys and if any of them play well, then you get credit for it. But yeah. the PJ Tour, by contrast, doesn't really do the same thing. You know, no one is saying, Oh man, no. John Rahm, he really the PJ Tour really showed up at the Masters. Or, oh, yeah, the PGA Tour. Can you believe they finished what, whatever it was? Eight guys in the top 10 at the PGA Championship. Yeah. Um, Brooks Kepka has a, a strong case to make that he's played well at those couple majors. Cam Smith has played pretty well. Patrick Reed has played pretty well at both. Uh, Mito Pereira has had solid results at both. Um, and, you know, Bryson seems to be playing better. It there's there's definitely some strong player by player cases to be made. I think that here's the thing. I think that there's some there's quite a bit of straw manning going on um from the live side, and this includes the stuff that Phil and and Claude have addressed. But in their defense maybe, I don't know. I'm walking the line here because I think it's half straw man and then half legitimate. Like there have been some dumb arguments made against live golf. And I think one of them is the fact that guys suddenly won't be able to play there. How many people have actually been saying this? I'm not sure we have, we have not been arguing, (laughs) but some people I guess have been throwing this around.
0: Yeah. I think I might have made a a silly argument about Dustin Johnson right before the PGA Championship. Um, But that's what's tricky about this. And that's what I wrote about in response to Claude talking his shit, was just like, hey – None of those guys really played well last year. If anything that I argued earlier this year was like, okay, Liv, you got through your first season. Now your horses need to sprint. Now your big guys need to play good golf. Now Brooks and Bryson and Phil and DJ and Cam, you got to freaking show up. And the scoreboard analogy, that's who's showing up. They are doing it they have the potential to yell scoreboard and so I just kind of wonder how long this era will run because we've got two more majors this year then we stop uh playing co-mingling um and so yeah I don't know do you feel like people are kind of yelling scoreboard I feel like Bryson is
1: I feel like Claude is yeah Norman we haven't heard anything from um I, I think Liv's supporters, the kind of blue check hive on Twitter, certainly are. Um, I think a lot of, I think if you look player by player, it remains relatively muted. Uh, I, Ian Poulter, he was, he kind of popped off on Twitter after Brooks won, right? But Brooks himself was not mm-hmm. eager totally. to really dish out any. Credit. I mean, it was interesting what Claude said about how involved Brooks has been in Liv's uh, structure and kind of meetings about, about Liv's future. That, I thought that that was, in terms of, you know, sort of just factual insight, that definitely was an interesting nugget from him um, because he doesn't seem to be going out of his way to do any of that publicly. I mean, he, he seemed to have a, a nice little week before he rolled into uh, Live D.C., So, yeah, I mean, all in all, I would say people are yelling scoreboard, but I would say it's probably uh, supporters of Live more than the actual golfers on
0: Live themselves. My only thought on Claude, Dylan, is just that anytime anyone looks at an entire industry right, and (laughs) speaks on it and begins a statement, any statement with, quote, you guys, those two words, that blanketing uh of a statement all 150 people in the pga championship press tent and rochester anytime you start like that you kind of lose me right there right when he's saying oh you guys are drinking the kool-aid and you guys thought that brooks took all the money and wouldn't be able to maintain what he has always been you just kind of lose me with the whole you guys stuff but Anyway, like in the in the wake of everything kind of Claude said at the PGA Championship to Adam Shupak of Golf Week, all I really want to say <laughs> is just if you want to enter this debate seriously, and this is a fun debate, I think. There are a lot of points that can be made on either side. If you're going to do that, just check your analogies. Check your comparisons. I think... You and I have to do that on this show and in our uh, our writing all the time. I think we do it uh, fervently, honestly. We do it pretty passionately because some analogies suck. And honestly, I've heard some of the comparisons talking to live golf coaches, live golf players, live golf caddies. Some of the analogies are are just they're just bad. They're not good analogies. And Claude basically used <laughs> I don't know three or four of them, like. Comparing Brooks as an athlete signing up to play for Live to be a captain of a franchise backed entirely by the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, if you were taking that and comparing it to, what was it, Justin Verlander signing with the Mets, it's just a pretty shitty comparison. It is just not the same. The Mets' ownership is completely unlike the ownership (laughs) involved with the Saudi Arabian government. It's just a comparison and there's not a lot of people outside of the live camp that would agree that that's a good comparison claude so i don't want to tell claude and people that are using these comparisons these analogies that um it's completely different than what you see in other sports that what live is doing is completely different than say like what cristiano ronaldo is doing by playing in saudi arabia i just know that there are analogies that can get a lot closer to comparing what's happening right here and claude made the wrong one a couple of wrong ones and it just was really sloppy and he then on top of that just doing it in such an antagonistic tone to all of golf media all of quote you guys i don't know he lost me extremely quickly and I think you and I, we talk about this just about every single week. I am here for this debate. I am here to try and use comparisons to help us kind of get to the crux of what is happening. I am just extremely confident that Claude made some pretty poor comparisons. And then he just dropped the mic, right? He did this on Sunday at the PGA Championship, and because he is Brooks Kepka's coach, and because Brooks Kepka just won the most recent major he decided it was time to finally drop the mic, get those thoughts out that had kind of been stewing with him with those really loose comparisons. Where do you kind of sit on it?
1: I think that there tend to be two little echo chambers happening here. John Rahm actually hit on this really well at the PGA. Um, he was asked in his opening press conference about you know the what's going to happen, what's the future of Live look like, what does the future of the PGA Tour look like, how do they intersect, and he said, look, if you talk to people on the PGA Tour, you'll hear, oh yeah, these guys are toast, you know, maybe it folds after this year, maybe it makes it one more year, and if you talk to people on Live, it's like, oh yeah, we've got we've got this is a decade long vision at least, we're just getting started, the possibilities are endless, etc. That's kind of what he said. And I think that this was a reminder of that. And Claude has been definitely has been talking to a lot of people that. A, I guess, believe that the media is specifically out to get live and maybe believes that there is some like coordinated effort. And you see a lot of this on social media, too. I mean, we we get it for I mean, we've sort of stated this before, but to be clear, we are not employed in any way by the PGA tour nor financially intertwined with the PGA tour. We just, but we also have not been going hard. Like we it's not like we're going at individuals and saying, Hey, you guys shouldn't have gone to live. We've been to both event events on both tours, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there is this sense that like the establishment is out to get live. And there are instances where that is the case. I mean, but I think that I think where live supporters can then miss the point a bit is these are not coexisting leagues. Like Live exists to try to take as many of the top players from the PGA Tour as it can and supplant it as the top tour in the world. Like I don't think there's really any question about that. I think that that's been represented in different ways at different points, but the goal is to get everyone it can. And yeah, in a perfect world, then they would still be able to play the PGA Tour. They would still get world ranking points. They would still play in the majors. I don't think the idea of Liv making its own majors was given like serious consideration. But it's a direct competitor to the PGA Tour, seeking to uh, end the PGA Tour's dominance as the top league. So it's pretty understandable to me why the PGA Tour is not engaging with Liv. Um, and I think that that can then be a separate thing from how the media is covering live, which I think is really just with um, I don't know slowly. I guess like we have decades of evidence of what it means to contend and win on the PGA Tour. There's sort of a there is this ecosystem in place that exists around PGA Tour events, and it's going to take a while for that to catch up on live um and by the way it's not that big an ecosystem either there are not that many it's not like there's that many reporters that are out there week to week covering PJ tour events um so we're really talking about a handful of outlets and the specific ways that they are covering these tournaments and i think that I think that if you talk to people within live, there's this real persecution complex that they are not being uh, treated the same way as the PGA tour. And I guess my thought would be, yeah, it's going to take some time to get treated the same way as the PGA tour. It's going to take some context and uh, it's going to take some interest because media coverage always follows interest. And yes, it also creates interest. Um, But I think as you see more, more consistency, more interest. You'll probably see more media coverage as a result. I, I feel like I just went all over the place answering that, but those are a couple things that I thought.
0: Well, honestly, Dylan, going all over the place just shows that this, as we have said many times, is a multi-pronged topic issue, what have you. This thing, it cannot be boxed up neatly. It takes time to explain it. It's It's complex. Anyone who explains it away quickly, I've said this 15 different times, anyone who explains it away quickly is cutting corners. You cannot explain it away quickly. And I will also add this about Claude. I've been to three live events. Uh, I went to the first one in London, which I saw Claude by himself, uh, kind of walking around the grounds there. It was early and um, doing his thing. I also saw him there in October at the team event. I went up to him and I said, Hey, you know, how's Brooks doing? How's Brooks' game? How's the swing doing? He barely gave me any time there. Then I tried again in the wake of the Masters this year at Augusta. Brooks finishes T2. Brooks is back, everything. I go up to ask him, and he says, no, 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 not interested in talking. So suddenly when Brooks wins, suddenly when Brooks has all the chips at the poker table, Claude is finally happy to kind of yell scoreboard. He's happy to talk and kind of flex and kind of dropped the mic. I just... We shouldn't be surprised at that. Brandel responding to Claude and calling Phil soft in the process. It's just all gotten really petty, Dylan. Like, and needless. I just don't really know what to say about Phil's Twitter usage that hasn't already been said by a lot of people. Um, Look, he's free to do whatever he wants to do on there, but, like, I don't think he's necessarily, like, growing the... uh, Hmm. I don't think he's necessarily growing support. I can't tell. I really can't tell. I've I've kind of joked that the best response to all of it, the pettiness of it all, is just the uh, that gif from the old Michael Jordan commercial. Like, stop. Get some help. Like, at what point do we kind of have to take everything he says seriously online? And then at what point do we kind of have to just stop and acknowledge that he just keeps yelling? He keeps saying things that... Um, are, are no different than what he said a a couple weeks ago.
1: Um, well, I think it's Phil Mickelson. So everything he says, you sort of have to take seriously. I think that he says everything with intention. Um, sometimes he's popping off and, and, you know, refusing to log off, but right now it seems pretty intentional. Uh, him, I, I don't really, I don't, really agree with people saying that Brandall is like a paid actor. I mean, he is literally a... He's a paid commentator. I understand that, literally. But I think that... I think it's like, it's like sort of this convenient thing that people lean into of like, oh, yeah, you're just saying that because that's where your financial interests lie. And... I don't think that's right in the case of Brandel. I mean, like if Brandel wanted a job at Live Golf, for instance, I'm sure that he could get one. I think it's sort of easier to say, yeah, he's just corrupt. <laughs> it's like this corrupt golf media term that's getting thrown around than it is to say, well, all right, let's, let's sort of deal with the points that Brandel is bringing up. And again, none of this is simple. Like I think there's a reason that we have not gone super hard on this podcast taking a side one way or the other and I think it's it's just sort of an acknowledgement that the world is complex and live has thrown professional golf into a variety of different corners of the world that professional golf didn't didn't used to so obviously occupy. At least at least there didn't used to be this conflict of like you know the morality of certain sponsorships i mean yeah it was talked vaguely about but now it's very clearly like okay well are we applying a purity test to all pj tour sponsorships now if we are talking about who sponsors the the uh the live If we're talking about the live backers in that same context, then, you know, how, how, what is our obligation then to examine the PGA tour sponsors? And, uh, yeah, it's all complex, but I think to just sort of wave your hand and say, oh yeah, that, that, that guy's corrupt. I mean, I don't know. I just think Brandel is, I think he freaking rules at his job. I think he's like excellent at his job. And I understand if you're a, a big live supporter, why he would rub you the wrong way with with uh you know all the stuff that he's been talking about recently i didn't think i don't ever condone going like 600 words long on twitter i think that should be like a suspendable offense but i think he's saying what he believes i really do i i just think that discrediting him and just saying like oh he's a paid actor i don't think that that checks out and i guess the same would go for eamon lynch and those were two of the people that uh, that Claude called out by name. Like I think those guys are saying what they think. I don't think they're saying it because you know, their employer is encouraging them to.
0: Hey, hey, you know who's a paid actor? Claude freaking Harmon <laughs> like right? <laughs> like in that in that realm, Claude Harmon's being paid by Brooks, who's getting paid by Saudi Arabia. Claude Harmon's a paid actor in the exact same way that Brandel Chambly would be a paid actor um, if we want to even, go that far um yeah the discourse has gotten too brutal um really annoying tough to write about you feel like if you write something you might piss somebody off uh on either side uh or some supporters on either side and on one hand that's a good thing to be you know upsetting people and and challenging their viewpoints um but the response to all that stuff has gotten so polarizing that it's exhausting and um feels like we're spinning in circles so let's it feels like we're spinning in the
1: in the political waters i guess more so than it than it ever used to like it, it this is becoming even everything is this way even michael Bach started started becoming somehow like political i don't know exactly how like I, I can't quite say oh yeah supporting him or not supporting him was like a right versus left thing but it was close you could feel it getting there you could <laughs> you know, like it, nothing is far away these days of from uh, from diving into the yeah the the cultural dialogue, the culture
0: wars. I will say that it is probably a good thing that Michael Block is taking the week off, right? Like just just gonna have a one week break. the The big hitters, the heavy hitters, the designated hitters are going to go to uh, Memorial. They're gonna go play Jack's Place. Uh, play at Muirfield Village, and that's gonna be a fantastic tournament. Big purse and everything, and then we're gonna see Michael Block again a week after that at the Canadian Open. But right now, Michael Block needs a little bit of a break. Um, if you are if you lost track of Michael Block over the weekend, um, well, we all did because he missed the cut, shot 81-74, I believe. Um, completely bombed out. Finished DFL. Uh, I was asked by a buddy the other day, what's DFL mean? I was like, dead freaking last. Um, And I think the biggest headline of his week would also not necessarily be a surprise to anyone who listens to this show. But he got got out over his skis one time, Dylan. Maybe twice. And this is a guy who's been skiing pretty fast for a couple weeks now. And basically he said... On the Bob Mennery Ripper Magoo podcast, if you gave me Rory's quote, stupid length, I could be top 10 in the world. Uh, and Michael Block was trying to pay Rory a compliment. I believe that he was trying to be complimentary of Rory. And of course, in the span of a 30 minute interview, uh, you know, one one of his dozens of interviews that he gave last week as a sponsor exemption. That is the 32nd clip that gets yanked. And that's the 32nd clip that becomes the definition of his second week in a row on the PJ Tour. And I'm going to come to his defense. Do you have anything to say before I do that that uh, I guess that upset you about what Michael Block did or said?
1: I would like to consider myself unable to be upset by Michael Block. I think it was a nice story. I think that was a ridiculous thing to say. But again, this is the context of the Ripper Magoo podcast. Like, I understand how he could have gotten there in his mind. I think that it represents a lack of understanding of like, look, people that spend a lot of time nerding out over golf and stats and the way all of this works would have a better understanding why that doesn't make sense and why Rory is really good at everything else in golf besides just hitting it a ton. But, yeah, he was coming off a little high, that's all. No, I was not upset by it, but I also don't think it's a reasonable thing to say.
0: No, you're right. It's not a reasonable thing to say. The iron shots that Michael Block hit on average during his one week atop the golf world at the PGA Championship – they netted him a .7 strokes gained per round approaching the green average. Rory McIlroy's is higher than that year-round. In other words, the irons that Michael Block played during his greatest week of golf are still worse than Rory's average approaching the green. So that's how damn good Rory is as an iron player. That says nothing about his driving, which is also obviously very different. Yeah, um, but imagine if Rory could use Rory McIlroy's drives. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think he'd be pretty good. Um, <laughs> the the clarity that I basically reached with Michael Block, I've never felt more confident in it. It's so simple to me. It's just that if he said one hundred things between the start of the PGA Championship when he was doing the walk and talk with Scott Van Pelt on Thursday, and you know. Friday afternoon after missing the cut. If he said 100 things or 1000 things or 200 things, 99% of the things that he said were fair, they were humble, they were filled with gratitude. <laughs> they were they were And he backed him uh, up. He backed and, him up for
1: a while. That's yes. what he said. Look, he said, yeah, if I could shoot even par every day, I could finish in the top 10. He shot even par, even par, even par, one over par, like he he did back that up. He finished two shots outside the top 10. Um, yeah.
0: And and so yeah. I, I was just thinking, you cannot compare me and Michael Block, but you can't compare the whole idea of playing the best golf of your life over a short stint. Um, and who, like, who has not gotten real freaking cocky it, in their self-belief and confidence immediately after playing the best golf of their life. I don't know when you think the best, the truly best week of golf you've ever played was, but I guarantee you that next week, you probably thought that you could make the PGA tour.
1: I'll tell you what, I played golf the other day, played just mediocre or worse for uh, 15 holes. And then I birdied 16, 17, and 18. And I think I haven't played I haven't swung a club since then. This was a few days ago. I still think I could go play on the tour. I was like, <laughs> I could finish top 20 at the PGA. Come on. A couple <laughs> birdie, a couple 360 yard par fours and reachable par five <laughs> right back in this thing. So yeah, uh, I, I understand getting out over your skis.
0: Yeah. My, my whole point is just like, gosh, if, if you're a golfer and you haven't said something a bit egregious rooted in self-confidence in the immediate wake of playing the best golf of your life. Uh, well then you're not a golfer because that happens. Um, uh, he happened to say it on one of the, you know, bigger podcasts and said it among a bunch of other contexts that I thought was fair and humble, but, um, that's not how the internet yeah. works.
1: No. And I guess my last son, Michael block would be like, the cycle has never been faster to build people up and the cycle has always included building people up and then tearing them down and so that is just happening faster and faster and faster and in terms of a golfer i'm struggling to find someone that has gone through that full cycle so quickly of like you know being built up and then there's sort of the backlash and then there's the teardown, and now I guess we're seeing the backlash to the backlash, and the backlash to the backlash to the backlash. We'll even out here somewhere where we can appreciate <laughs> what was an incredible week. I think that the hole in one that that dude hit at number 15 on Sunday at the PGA is such a preposterous moment <laughs> that I think that that is that should be our takeaway. Uh, you know, people spend a lot of time online.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I just appreciate us the fact included. That- yeah, if if you were writing a script, I'm not going to be the first person to say this, but if you were writing a script, I mean, they kind of did it with Tin Cup, but if you were truly trying to write a script, like that would be fantastic and work on Hollywood. It would include an ace on the back nine with Roy McElroy that doesn't touch the grass, just flies right into the cup. Uh, it's a bit too perfect, uh, which is, I don't know. Hopefully we, hopefully we remember it forever in a very fun way. He's going to play the Canadian Open. Um, which I guess by the time people listen to this will be next week. He's also going to play the uh, European Masters later this summer, I think at the end of August that would be. Um, so I kind of want him to ball out again and keep, keep this flame uh, lit. He could, you know, he could qualify his way into the uh, U.S. Open. We could see him in L.A., see if he could back it up at another major. Um, but until then, I don't think we need to spend any more time on him. Who should we spend time on?
1: Well, we had some match play going on in uh, in Vegas this week. Pajari Ana Narakarn. Pajari Ana Narakarn nice. uh, beat Ayaka Furu in the final. Um, which was all good. I actually didn't watch that much of the final, but I did uh, watch some of the lead up to it. This is just, I guess, the latest sign that Thai women's golf is kind of shredding right now. Um, So she won, but also a good sign for the European women's Solheim cup team. Lynn grant was on American soil uh, for the first time in a while because the vaccine travel mandate has been listed. Does that mean Novak can play in the U S open this year too?
0: Yes, that's what it means. Do you think there's any more kind of intriguing female in pro golf than Lynn grant? this year you know with like the injuries that are kind of piling up she is truly a world beater she seems like a top 10 talent and we had to we didn't have to but we were able to conveniently kind of ignore some of the results she was putting together because they were all happening in Europe um I mean feels like if she goes on a run here it'll I don't know it'll it'll kind of mean something for perseverance in a way
1: yeah i mean she's been really good uh she was just steamrolling competition in europe she did lose three and one so pajari all credit to her Uh, but yeah it's it's, it is actually going to be a fascinating change in the landscape because everyone has been waiting for this moment and then she came over and immediately started performing i mean i think uh, how she plays at the uh women's pga next week Will be, I guess that'll be a a pretty fun thing to track. Um, but yeah, she was also one of five European women in the in the of the eight quarterfinalists. Uh, so I know the American the American squad was. It's not like the Americans had all of their best golfers there um, by any
0: means, but good sign for the Solheim Cup team. Well, gosh, dude, the this, the the sisters are both battling back injuries right now. Jess Corda is out indefinitely sound, now. Sounds really bad. The the hyper successful Solheim pair of Corda and Corda might not happen this year. Um the Solheim Cup's looking like it could get weird. Yeah. The Solheim Cup could get weird, but could get good.
1: Leona Maguire playing well also. She made it to the semis. Did you see that she blocked the Leona Maguire tracker on Twitter? Yeah. I love that. That was a fun fun subplot i think i would do the same
0: yeah if there was a dylan to chair tracker
1: you only need so much feedback on your day-to-day whereabouts too much feedback is unnatural i would say
0: how about your boy scotty scheffler's putting is there anything that we can say briefly to really kind of shake people at the shoulders about about this really weird thing that's happening at the top of the pro golf world
1: I was just writing a little something about this because I thought that Scotty Scheffler, specifically his interview about his putting, taught us a few things. Um, one is that CBS is continuing to try to do some different stuff, specifically with Amanda, uh, Amanda Renner in in the sort of late tournament Saturday Sunday window. In this case, that meant uh, World number one Scotty Scheffler sitting down with Amanda. And not just being asked about the round, but but Amanda kind of wading into the world of like, hey, what the hell is going on with your putting? So I think that's noteworthy and interesting, and I appreciated it because that sort of question gets relegated to, you know, the unwashed masses in the, in the press center a lot of the time. And uh, usually the only reason that a, a press center, you know, question really gets a lot of traction is if someone asks a dumb question makes the rest of us or us look kind of bad but so that's lesson number one lesson number two is that scotty is just hitting the hell out of the ball he's ball striking it better than i mean i don't know when the last time there was a stretch this good and this is one of those things i guess this is a classic golf thing where you can't have everything going great all at once and it seems like somehow his struggling with his putting has just made everything else even better. Um, but yeah. And also it sounds like he is talking a good game about his putting and he's gaining confidence. He says, and it, but he also said a couple things like the hole looks like it's moving and the hole <laughs> looks really small. And that I was not that. encouraging.
0: <laughs> I loved that so much. Um, uh, I almost tweeted about it because it's like same, bro. <laughs> I played yeah. I played uh, Be- the Beverly uh Country Club on Saturday here in Chicago. Fantastic golf course. And boy, are their greens very very fast and you know, it's the end of May, so I'm worried about what it'll look like in July, but the whole moving is a it's a feeling that I have felt and um it's almost It's almost, uh, you know, heartwarming that that can happen to the truly number one player in the world. Um, But I guess the takeaway is that for people who listen to this podcast, for people who dip their toe into the waters of golf, kind of during the majors, you got the U.S. Open coming up, um, people who don't watch every single week, like this was the most polar it's ever been. He was number one tee to green at Charles Schwab buy a lot and then second most worst polar the it's ever field. been <laughs> yeah it's the most polar it could possibly be yeah well second worst in the field um in putting and there's just a glass half full glass half empty outlook that you can have on that you can say holy cow this guy is not getting out of the game what he is putting into it he is not getting out what he like the number of victories in terms of you know career wins and running up the ladder on that world and trying to compete with John Rahm for the player of the year race he's not getting at anything out of it he has 15 straight top 12s now which is absurd so that's the glass half empty the glass half full is that he is close to a blowout victory. <laughs> like the second he has a great putting week or even just a good putting week, he's going to win by three. Um, and so kind of how you view this says a lot about you know your faith in Scotty Scheffler, your inabilities to bet on the favorite, uh, all that stuff. Um, I can't tell what he's closest to. If he's closest to kind of just being this guy the rest of the year or if he is close to... Breaking through, winning the US Open, maybe winning the British Open and saying, Hey John Rom, no, I'm the POI. Is Scotty Scheffler the favorite going to the US Open? No doubt. He will he will be the betting favorite. He will be the favorite in terms of everyone in the field is looking at someone that they gotta beat. When when uh, when Thursday ends and Rory McElroy has shot sixty-eight and he's looking down the leaderboard, scrolling as I imagine he does he's going to look at where Scotty Scheffler is, right? If he uses the PJ Tour app and can put a, a blue star next to someone's name and kind of create his own leaderboard of people he needs to keep track of, Roy will be looking at Scotty and um, kind of where he is, probably looking at where Rom and where he is, and then probably looking where Brooks Kepka is. And beyond that, then it's uh, anyone's game, right?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I actually just pulled up the odds three-way dead heat between those three players you <laughs> just mentioned each going that, off at at 9 to 1 right now isn't Rahm, that insane that Scheffler Kepka
0: isn't it insane that um i just look back to phoenix and um i think dan rapaport asked the question uh at you know quick quotes in phoenix basically asking rom like to feel like we have a big three. I can't remember exactly what happened, whatever. but at that time we were asking Scotty and Rom, is there a big three? And both of them were like, yeah, kind of. and we but we had to ask the question of Rory too. And in the span of three months, Rory has undoubtedly backed away from that top three. The other two have undoubtedly pushed themselves into a top two category and then somehow, from freaking out of nowhere, We've actually added a third person to the top three. That wasn't McElroy. It wasn't Cantley. It wasn't Xander. It wasn't Spieth. It wasn't JT. It's freaking Brooks Koepka.
1: <laughs> As always, I mean, they, this, this gets brought up when there are debates about conferences and college football. Hey, you want a world ranking system? Maybe just go to Vegas. Maybe just check out the odds yeah. makers. How many top 10 players do you have on live? Well, you've got one guy that if you're playing a major championship, he's gonna be right in that conversation. The progress Brooks Kepka has made on the course and then also in the in the public eye and in the in the the investor's eye has been pretty significant. Uh you won't find another guy until Cameron Smith, who's going off as the eleventh favorite at twenty five to one, Dustin Johnson going off at thirty to one, um, and so on down the line, Bryson at fifty to one along with Neiman. So, yeah, there's some guys. But seeing Brooks.
0: Brooks is our Ohio State. Brooks is Ohio State. Interesting. Right? The Big Ten is like, hey, we can hang with the SEC. We have a horse. We've got a couple horses. Look, Cam Smith, maybe he's your Michigan. Mito Pereira, he might He, he might be your Wisconsin Badgers at this point. But Brooks is like, hey, we got that speed here over here on Live, that SEC speed. Brooks is the Ohio State.
1: How about Pablo Larrañabal? You think he's going to make the European Ryder Cup team? You have any, I, you have any dude, takes? I, I, I have some takes. on that front,
0: not on Pablo, as much as on Ludwig, Ludwig, Aberg, Ludwig. Yes. yes. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you will soon. I like. I love having teases like that. He is uh, an amateur turning pro very, very soon. I imagine he is a senior a 23 year old senior at texas tech and the NCAA championships are finishing up this week and i can only imagine he will turn pro extremely soon i believe he's playing in the canadian open and uh the 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 i guess the short and fast on him is that data golf ranks him 75th in the world right now top 100 guy has not uh, earned a dollar on the golf course quite yet uh, in the wow. professional sense he is ranked I believe uh, of the players that the European players that are eligible for the Ryder Cup so Sergio you're out Paul, you're out Westwood out um, Peters out Ludwig is 13th so he is on the or he might be, be 12th But he is on the fringe in terms of who DataGolf think the best players are from Europe in terms of being right there to get a captain's pick. And so he's going to be playing the Canadian Open. He's going to be playing other pro events this summer. Uh, I imagine if he plays well at either the U.S. Open or at the Open, he's going to get a lot of ranking points, and he's going to climb up Luke Donald's player tracker, captain's pick tracker. Um, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on Pablo, your boy, but Ludwig is, this is his time. He could play his way onto that team and he has not yet turned pro.
1: Well, Pablo won the KLM open in the Netherlands this weekend on the DP world tour. Adrian Otegwe finished second, Rasmus Hoygaard T3, looking more and more likely he will be on that Ryder Cup team. And then a tour we rarely get to on this podcast, the challenge tour, (laughs) the Copenhagen challenge, Sean, which sounds like the sort of thing that some kids in my high school baseball team would get into back in the day, if you know (laughs) what I mean. Nice. Matteo Manicero
0: from nowhere
1: winning on the challenge tour. Um, Speaking of it's, it's a big year in Italian golf. I don't think it's likely we're going to have any Italians on this team but you never know a few more challenge um, to her
0: dubs for mateo mateo is interesting to me because way back when 2008 2009 when the sport of golf is being uh considered as an applicant to be to be to to become an olympic game one of the olympic games one of the sports at the olympics he was The upcomer then, he was the, like, world uh, European boy. He's going to lead, you know, the Italian charge Number one boy. The number one boy. Uh, Certainly not the eldest at the time, but, like, if you go back and you look at promotional materials, they involve Tiger Woods, Annika Sorenstam, they involve Jack Nicklaus, Padring Harrington. And at some point, they involve Matteo Manicero. And um, he has certainly dropped off from, I guess, what we had – built up his projections to be uh that said it's it i always get happy when he succeeds because you know the Ryder cup is going to italy he won't be on that team and then the olympics are coming to paris not too far from italy and that's a you have a much better chance of actually playing in the olympics without being a top 100 player um, and so he actually he could he could work his way into the Olympics, the event that he was promoting way back when alongside Tiger Jack, Padraig and Annika. So just a little factoid for the people who listen to a true 60 minutes of the drop zone. We appreciate those of you
1: who've made it this far. We know that. Uh, well, I guess we don't know this about you. What we do know, Sean, is it's time to go prep for the Celtics. Got some guacamole. Just to honor the boys in green before Game Seven here. Hopefully, by the time you guys listen to this, things will have gone well uh, for the the Boston boys. But thanks for listening, Sean. You got anything else?
0: No, I'm just mostly hoping for friend of the show Duncan to hit hit three three pointers. That's all I want.
1: That's right. At le- a sporting at effort. A sporting effort in a, in a uh, in a losing effort for the Heat would just be the best. So zonies, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. Big, big stretch of golf ahead. This is going to be, this is kind of what I was thinking we would talk about in the podcast. I don't even know what we talked about instead, but we're we're getting, actually, are we getting four weeks of Rory in a row coming up? Yes. Three Desis in four weeks, plus a Canadian Open. Uh, We're going to have a bunch of golf. So this was a little bit of a breather and uh, we still got an hour of podcast out of it. So appreciate you making it this far.